so badly prepared. <laughs> but we'll make it. <laughs> One way or the other. It's 6 o'clock on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. 2 p.m. in London Town, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. It's, what is it, 11 o'clock at night. Good night, Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's the beginning, very early stages of the disco era. It's 1976. Well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. Yeah, never mind. I can't sing. (laughs) (sighs) Welcome to episode 174. And no, right off the bat, spoiler alert, Taylor Swift is not here. Okay? We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift. But she's not here. So, relax, okay? The day Taylor Swift shows up is the day I have, like, you know, Joe Rogan numbers or something. But I don't, and she won't. By the way, Taylor, if you happen to be listening, you're you're always welcome. Come on the show. And yes, we are going to talk about you tonight a little bit, so... We have that. Uh, we have that coming up. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. Thank you to all of our new Rumble subscribers. We're also a podcast. The audio part of our show goes out right uh, 10, 15 minutes after we're done being live, three nights a week, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and um, you can listen to the show. Some of, a lot of what we do is kind of visual, so I always include the show notes with the links to what we talk about. If you want to read the whole article, uh, you'll find it down below in our description. That is the show notes down there. And uh, check it out. We are, you know what? I almost wore my glasses tonight. Yeah, I have glasses. Uh, They're actually trifocals, believe it or not. I'm that old. But... uh, (laughs) I've, I've been on my phone a lot lately. I have been on this thing constantly. I'm on Twitter, uh, Twitter a lot more these days because it's just really cranking stupid, the people over there. And I find myself on Getter a lot. If you haven't been to Getter, please do check it out. You can find me over there. The link is in the uh, show notes in the description tonight. It's getr.com. A very cool site. If you want to really know what I think with no with no harness, no self-editorials, you need to check out my Getter account. Twitter, I'm getting a little more brave, but not entirely. And uh, other social media, I'm just a sweet old man that doesn't know much. But <laughs> beyond that, you can find my, the real me over on Getter if you really want to if you want to really, really want to see where I stand. All right. I stand in one spot, and that's right in the heart when it comes to this little girl. It's time for our usual... Miko Update. Me, 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 Miko Update. Yeah, we update you on our little girl. She is our, our Shiba Inu baby. She is in heat right now. So, oh, what a mess. She's off her food. She's being... You know, the little Sri that she is. She's the little princess. And uh, she's, I mean, look, she's in heat right now. So her hormones are driving her crazy. And we just got to 
do the best we can. She hates putting the diaper on at night, but we struggle through. Uh, she's leaving us little love spots all over the house, so we've got a mop always on standby. But uh, she's doing well. And coming up, by the way, uh, this Saturday, we have a really special guest. Uh, we're a member of the Malaysian Shiba Inu Club, and there are so many. There's like a hundred over people. Yeah, there's so many Shiba Inus. So we all get together. I've shown you pictures before of a couple of our outings that uh, we managed to make it with Miko. But on Sunday, the 13th, there's a very special event coming up at Desa Park City with the Malaysian Shiba Inu Club. We will be there. Well, with a caveat. If Miko is through with her heat by then, she'll be there. Otherwise, it's really not fair to be dragging her in heat in front of a bunch of other Shiba Inus. But uh, we hope to be there on, uh, on Sunday. And we're going to have, as a special guest, just for five, ten minutes at the start of our show Saturday night, uh, the organizer of the event. It's a charity event. It's to raise uh, some money for a very worthy cause having to do with dogs. We will tell you all about it. We'll give you all the details. I'll just let you know. Save the evening of the 13th of February, this coming Sunday evening, and show up. At this. You're going to want to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun and for a really good cause. So I'll give you more details. That'll be coming up on Saturday night's show, the day before the event. So it'll be fresh in your minds. All right. So that's our Miko update. Not much more going on overall, other than the whole heat cycle thing. She's doing really well. So, all right, let's get right to it. We promised you Taylor Swift, and by gosh, we're going to bring you Taylor Swift. You know, there's probably nothing wrong with pop culture courses in college, but now at NYU, for some reason, you can actually take a course in Taylor Swift. I kid you not. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is from Mike.com. M-I-C, Mike.com, like microphone. Links in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. But the headline, you can now take a course in Taylor Swift at NYU for some reason. Pop culture, valid study, but does Swift really need to be at the center of it? New York University's Clive Davis Institute is now offering a course on Taylor Swift. The anti-liberal elite education camp, if they needed any more reason to complain about fancy big city degrees. Surprise, the course already has a long waiting list per Variety, Variety Magazine. The class is going to be taught by Rolling Stone's Brittany Spanos, and it will cover Swift's evolution as a creative music entrepreneur, the legacy of pop and country songwriters, discourses of youth and girlhood, the politics of race in contemporary music. But as the article says here, the whole thing begs the question, who needs this? What is this going to do for your education? A portion of the course description reads like this. 
This course proposes to deconstruct both the appeal and aversions to Taylor Swift through close readings of her music and public discourse as it relates to her own growth as an artist and a celebrity. So basically, they're going to play a bunch of Taylor Swift music and listen to it and talk about it. Wow. And here you go. You can have your degree now in Taylor Swift. Uh, Swifty after finishing the Taylor Swift course and getting straight A's. <laughs> Obviously, Taylor Swift, a very popular star. She's been through a lot of seasons of her artistry and fame. Uh, incredibly talented songwriter, a very smart businesswoman. Uh, but you know what? So are Adele and Beyonce and Lady Gaga, uh, who've made more nuanced and less self-obsessed contributions to society. Uh, Swift is a beacon of white womanhood, a womanhood, <laughs> and a masterclass in white privilege, according to this article. Wow, this is <laughs> a really tear-down piece. Uh, here's a meme uh, Twitter post from Jack electrified dress on Twitter. Imagine walking into the Taylor Swift University course and Taylor Swift is stood there waiting for you. <laughs> Somehow I don't think so. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, anyway, this also on Mike.com. Dolly Parton, Eminem, and Beck are among 2022's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. So uh, check out the article. It's quite interesting. And uh, again, it's basically a course at NYU, New York University, on Taylor Swift. Oh, boy. More things you didn't know you needed and you probably don't. Mm -hmm. Coffee break time and time to plug our Miko merch. You can pick this up. The link is the top link in our show notes. And uh, it's got our show logo on it. It's got Miko on it. You'll find these. You'll find mouse pads, T-shirts, ball caps, hoodies, stickers, notepads, all kinds of cool stuff. If you want to help to support the show, just check out the link. It's at twitch.tv. And the link, it's easier just to go to the link in our show notes and you can check out all of our, uh, our merchandise over there. Thank you for those of you who have done that. Appreciate it. All right. You getting married soon? Speaking of entitled... There are some brides who take this whole wedding ceremony crap just a little bit too far. This article, again in our show notes from memes.com, utterly entitled brides with completely unrealistic demands. The biggest bridezillas we've ever seen. You gotta, I'm not gonna do all of them, but you got to check out this article and read this whole thing because it is insane where these brides think they're coming from or think they have a right. Entitled brides with unrealistic demands. Here's one. Uh, it's, I guess, a note they sent out to the people invited to the wedding. As much as we'd love for you to attend, sadly, our venue, uh, we uh, cannot accommodate everyone. Be sure to keep you in our hearts in this celebration of love. If you'd like to congratulate the bride and groom rather than a registry, we're accepting money to aid in a beautiful honeymoon. Okay. Uh, it says here the weddings are supposed to be beautiful events where couples express their love and commitment to each other in front of their family and friends. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. But weddings can get 
rather awkward when bridezillas are involved. Entitled brides and their ridiculous demands raise a lot of red flags. Here's one from Nicole Boyce, Wedding Pool. I was just in an Uber pool. Now, we don't have Uber here in Malaysia. For some reason, they kicked them out. I don't know, some political crap. Anyway, we've got Grab, which is the big one. But anyway, Uber's just like Grab, if you don't know. Uh, a couple are going to their wedding, and they had the audacity to be mad at me for joining the pool, even though they chose Uber Pool on their wedding day. Okay. How about this one? This is from a bride, a bridezilla. You pay us 50 bucks and then start taking photos that you can sell at the wedding to people who want them. That way we can use the money for the wedding and you still might get paid. So this photographer friend said, obviously, no, but nicely. And she was very upset with this. Started to cry, said I'd do the wedding for just 50 bucks, which is way below my rate. She started with the bridezilla anger stuff. Uh, which I had to deflect for an hour until she called me a bad friend and said she'd always do the same for me. Eventually, she left in a huff, and I shrugged it off. And then I started getting phone calls and messages in the following weeks from mutual friends and even her family, whom I'd never met. Soon, I'm getting messages from people saying I'm selfish and I'm ruining my best friend's wedding. They obviously overestimated their friendship, and even that I should be ashamed for leaving a friend out in the cold. So I said I'd do it for free, because why not free booze? But that wasn't good enough. She insisted that I pay her for the right to take her wedding photographs. Phone calls, messages persisted, getting all scorched earth, Several dozen calls in the same day, several hundred texts. We would get a stop in at least once per day, which became increasingly threatening. And it was turning into a it show with SH in front of it. So finally I decided, I just told her, I'll do it, pay her on the wedding day. Never intended on showing up even at this point. Because they just would not F off no matter how many times I told them to. That was three weeks before the wedding. Man, insane. How about this one? Making centerpieces for the wedding in one week. This is a, a, a conversation they're having in text. Says, hey, girly, thanks for your RSVP. Brad and I are thrilled to have you for our special day. Can I ask a simple favor? To which she responds, thanks. I'm excited, happy, of course. What do you need? The bride says, I need you to make a custom centerpiece for each of the 20 tables, and if each one could be a separate Disney villain, I would die. Oh, and could you also do a cake topper? And the baker's cakey topper lady says, I'm flattered, but wait, the wedding's next week. That's not enough time for me. And the bride goes, yeah, it's next week, but we figured they can't be that long to make, right? <laughs> This goes on and on. Brides are asking, uh, brides asking for these ridiculous gifts amounts, all these insane things they want, uh, demand that they donate to pay for the wedding. You got to check it out. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a cool article. It's at mames.com, and you will find the link down there below 
in our show notes tonight, in our description. That is, that is the show notes. So check the link out, read the article. It's, uh, it's insane what some of these uh, bridezillas think they can get away with. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man. Just invite your friends and have a good time and enjoy the celebration. I know you won't, but that's what you should be doing. Mm. Hey, we uh, we keep forgetting to mention this, and I'm so ashamed of myself. This happened about two weeks ago uh, on the uh, 30th of January, I believe. Uh, Howard Hessman passed away. He was 81, and he died because of complications from colon surgery. Uh, if you don't know who Howard Hessman is, you probably do, but you don't know that you do. Howard Hessman was the original star of WKRP in Cincinnati. Now, we've talked about that amazing 70s television show here on this program many times. And uh, this picture here, this is, you'll recognize him, no doubt, is uh, Howard Hessman uh, back in the day when he was, uh, what was it, Johnny somebody on uh, WKR, Johnny Fever, Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati. He was 81 years old. That's uh, not the only thing he ever did, although it is what he is best known for. There's a picture of him on the set of WKRP in Cincinnati. And you know what's funny? Is that this is exactly, almost exactly, what the original radio studio I started in back in 1976 or 7 or 8, somewhere around there. Uh, the only difference, I think, between the two, we had these big, big pots all over the place here, was that the turntables, instead of being side by side, there was one here and one over on the opposite side. That's really the only difference. Otherwise, this looked exactly like the studio I first started in. But uh, yeah, Howard Hessman was uh, an amazing actor, a great comedian. He hosted Saturday Night Live many, many times. Um, he also played on uh, Head of the Class, One Day at a Time. Uh, he was Charlie Moore on uh, Head of the Class. This is him in uh, the older years. Wow. And uh, like I said, three times, 79, 82, and 83, he uh, hosted Saturday Night Live. He had recurring roles on Boston Legal and That 70s Show. He occurred, uh, appeared in a lot of films also. The Rocker, All About Steve, Salvation Boulevard, Wild Oats, uh, even uh, Rob Zombie's horror classic remake of Halloween 2 in 1981 so yeah we have uh, we lost a great man there in dr johnny fever otherwise affectionately known as howard hessman we will we will miss him greatly if you have never seen wkrp in cincinnati please go to youtube or whatever video outlet you use and search wkrp in cincinnati a lot of the full episodes are up there and it is it's a hell of a show. You've got to check it out. All right, a couple more things to get to before we get to our book tonight. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer is what we're reading in our classic books. How about this one? We talked about bridezillas and terrifying brides. How about terrifying Mother Nature? These photos, this is from, again, mames.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. A reminder that nature is disturbing. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, our audio part of the show, 
please do check out the link in our show notes or go over and check out our video. It's on rumble.com or YouTube or Facebook. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It's free and it really helps. So <laughs> check this out. You've all seen these kind of purpley uh, plants. They look like clovers, but they're big and they're purple. And this cat, I, I have no idea what's going on here, but it's weird. All right. Uh, Mother Nature is a beautiful thing, but she can be downright terrifying, says the article. If you've ever been swept up by a giant wave or caught in a riptide, felt super strong hurricane winds that can knock you over in two seconds flat, you know she ain't screwing around. Tornadoes, creepy crawlies, floods, cockroaches, natural disasters. She's done it all, and she's not afraid to use it to scare the absolute hell out of you. Look at this. There's a picture of a cat, and this person has circled this huge footprint, and she said, I have no idea what went walking through my backyard, but this is an enormous... Look at the cat's paw compared to this, this thing. This is big. He may look innocent. Uh, let's see. You know what? Hang on a quick second, because I got to do a quick reload. This one is missing some of the stuff. The net is very weird tonight. I know I'm, I'm lagging on uh, our live stream over on Rumble. Uh, I can see that. But um, I keep trying to reload these pages, and they are taking, like, forever when uh, we try and call them up. Uh, let me see. Okay, where is the... Ah, here we go. Let's just bump ahead here. Take a look at this. This is an ant colony. Look at that. Something weird is going on here. If you look at it up close, look at that. They're all going around in circles. This looks like Mecca. I I'm not making fun. I mean, seriously. This looks like an overhead shot of Mecca. This is insane. Look at that. I've never seen ants do that before. They're organizing. First it was the planet of the apes. Now it's going to be the planet of the ants. <laughs> Found this unwelcome surprise on my way home. Is, can, you can't quite make out what it is? Hold on, I'll show you a close-up. This person went up to open their car door, and thank God they looked before they grabbed the door handle, because take a look at the close-up. That's what was sitting. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. It is a giant spider that fills the hand well where you would grab to open the car. And I don't know what kind of spider that is, but I don't care what kind of spider it is. If you hadn't looked first and noticed that thing, ouch, man. All right, how about this one's weird. Man goes into narrow underwater cave. What a moron. Look at this. He just completely disappears into the cave. What is the point? Bye, dude. Oh, okay. Look at this. I have a thing about eels. I love unagi. Unagi. Uh, you know, the Japanese eels. But I have a thing about eels. I'll tell you a quick story in a second. This picture creeps me out. These are eels. These are a lot of eels in a stream. If I saw this, 
I would I would run faster than if I saw the spider. I can deal with spiders for the most part. But if I saw this, I would be out of there and I would need a new pair of shorts immediately. <laughs> Excuse me. We were at uh, Willie Agate's cabin. Uh, I, it, it, we lived in Cornwall, but his cabin was in another small town in Litchfield County in Connecticut. But we would go down to the dock at night and shine our light off the dock into the water. It was pitch black, only the stars, no street lights, no lights. This was out in the woods on a lake. And we went down once and we laid on our tummies on the dock, reached over and shone the light, this, this uh, bright flashlight down into the water. And immediately coming up were all these eels from the bottom of the lake. I think that's why. I think that's what set my mind on, first of all, I would never go back in the lake. <laughs> no doubt about that. But there were, there were really, there were probably 40, 50 eels all coming up from the bottom towards the light. So when I say, I can't even look at this picture. It's seriously, it's creeping me out. I hate eels. I love to eat them, but I hate them. Check out this link. There's more weird pictures, weird stories about uh, strange animals and Mother Nature. You'll find it in our show notes down there at the bottom tonight. All right. I want to end with with one more thing before we get to um, before we get to Tom Sawyer, and that is this brilliant piece that I found. It was written by. Let me make sure I get the right credit. It's by John Rodell at John Rodell. Dot com if you'd like to check it out. The link to this is in our show notes, and it was posted by June Latonio. Thank you, June, for that. It's absolutely beautiful. Please take the time to check it out. You might even want to bookmark it because it uh, it's sweet. It's really nice. And I'm going to read while uh, you take a look at the picture that was attached to this amazing uh, poem. My brain and my heart divorced a decade ago. Over who was to blame about how big of a mess I've become. Eventually, they couldn't be in the same room with each other. Now my head and heart share custody of me. I stay with my brain during the week, and my heart gets me on the weekends. They never speak to one another. Instead, they give me the same note to pass to each other every week, and their notes they send to one another always say the same thing. This is all your fault. On Sundays, my heart complains about how my head has let me down in the past. And on Wednesdays, my head lists all the times my heart has screwed things up for me in the future. They blame each other for the state of my life. There's been a lot of yelling and crying. So... Lately, I've been spending a lot of time with my gut, who serves as my unofficial therapist. Most nights, I sneak out of the window in my rib cage, slide down my spine, and collapse on my gut's plush leather chair that's always open for me. And I just sit, 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 until the sun comes up. 
Last evening, my gut asked me if I was having a hard time being caught between my heart and my head. I nodded. I said I didn't know if I could live with either of them anymore. My heart is always sad about something that happened yesterday, while my head is always worried about something that may happen tomorrow, I lamented. My gut squeezed my hand. I just can't live with my mistakes of the past, or my anxiety about the future, I sighed. My gut smiled and said, In that case, you should go stay with your lungs for a while. I was confused. The look on my face gave it away. If you're exhausted about your heart's obsession with the fixed past, and your mind's focus on an uncertain future? Your lungs are the perfect place for you. There is no yesterday in your lungs. There is no tomorrow there either. There is only now. There is only inhale. There is only exhale. There is only this moment. There is only breath, and in that breath, you can rest while your heart and your head work out their relationship. This morning, while my brain was busy reading tea leaves, my heart was staring at old photographs. I packed a little bag and walked to the door of my lungs. Before I could even knock, she opened the door. And with a smile, as a gust of air embraced me, she said, What took you so long? And think about that. Breathe in, breathe out. Just live in the now. <laughs> nice. I love that. It was so sweet. Check it out. The link is in our show notes if you want to share that on your Facebook page or your Twitter account or wherever it might be. It is a really, really nicely written piece and some good advice mixed in there, too, of course. All right. It is time to move it on over to Mr. Mark Twain and the adventures of Tom Sawyer. We have been reading classic books on this stream for 174 shows now. We've done it on every stream. We've done Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, uh, you name it. We did A Christmas Carol for the Christmas season. Um, and right now we're doing The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. It is a very long book. It was written in 1876. A little piece of trivia for you if you never heard it before. This was one of the first novels completely written on a typewriter. Now, Fair warning, given the Joe Rogan qualifications here, this was written, as I said, in 1876. And some of the words in this book, while appropriate at that time, are not appropriate today. In this book, for example, you will hear the N-word. We are reading what is written on the page as it was originally written by Mark Twain. 
If that offends you, you may want to do something else for the next 15 minutes or so. If you're cool with that, then here we go. We're on chapter 15 of the adventures of Tom Sawyer. A few minutes later, Tom was in the shoal of water of the bar, wading toward the Illinois shore. Before the depth reached his middle, he was halfway over. The current would permit no more wading now, so he struck out confidently to swim the remaining hundred yards. He swam, quartering upstream, but still was swept downward rather faster than he expected. However, he reached the shore finally and drifted along till he found a low place and drew himself out. He put his hand on his jacket pocket, found his piece of bark safe, and then struck through the woods, following the shore with streaming garments. Shortly before ten o'clock, he came out into an open place opposite the village and saw the ferry boat lying in the shadow of the trees in the high bank. Everything was quiet under the blinking stars. He crept down the bank, watching with all his eyes, slipped into the water, swam three or four strokes, and climbed into the skiff that did yawl duty at the boat's stern. He laid himself down under the thwarts and waited, panting. Presently, the cracked bell tapped, and a voice gave the order to cast off. A minute or two later, the skiff's head was standing high up against the boat's well, and the voyage has begun. Tom felt happy in his success, for he knew it was the boat's last trip for the night. And at the end of a long twelve or fifteen minutes, the wheels stopped, and Tom slipped overboard and swam ashore in the dark landing 50 yards downstream, out of danger of possible stragglers. He flew along unfrequented alleys and shortly found himself at his aunt's back fence. He climbed over, approached the L, and looked into the sitting room window, for a light was burning there. There sat Aunt Polly, Sid, Mary, Joe Harper's mother, grouped together and talking. They were by the bed, and the bed was between them and the door. Tom went to the door and began to softly lift the latch, and then he pressed gently, and the door yielded a crack. He continued pushing cautiously and quaking every time it creaked, till he judged he might squeeze through on his knees, so he put his head through and began warily. What makes the candle blow so, said Aunt Polly. Tom hurried up. Why, that door is open, I believe. Why, of course it is. No end of strange things now. Go long and shut it, Sid. Tom disappeared under the bed just in time. He lay and breathed himself for a time, and then crept to where he could almost touch his aunt's foot. But as I was saying, said Aunt Polly, he weren't bad, so's to say only mischievous, and just giddy, harem scarum, you know, she, he weren't any more responsible than a colt. He never meant any harm, and he was the best-hearted boy there ever was. And she began to cry. It was just so with my Joe, always full of his devilishment, 
up to every kind of mischief, but he was just as unselfish and kind as he could be. And laws bless me, I think I went and whipped him for taking that cream, never once recollecting that I throwed it out myself because it was sour. I'll never see him again in this world. Never, 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 poor abused boy. And Mrs. Harper sobbed as if her heart would break. I hope Tom's better off where he is, said Sid. But if he'd been better in some ways, Sid! Tom felt the glare of the old lady's eye, though he couldn't see it. Not a word against my Tom now that he's gone. God'll take care of him. Never you trouble yourself, sir. Oh, Mrs. Harper, I don't know how to give up on him. I don't know how to give him up. He's such a comfort to me, although he tormented my old heart out of me most. The Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, but it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. Only last Saturday, my Joe busted a firecracker right under my nose. I knocked him sprawling. Little did I know then how soon. Oh, if I was to do it over again, I'd hug him and bless him for it. Yes, yes, I know just how you feel, Mrs. Harper. I know just how you feel. No longer ago than yesterday noon, my Tom took and filled the cat full of painkiller. I did think the critter would tear the house down. God forgive me, I cracked Tom's head with a thimble, poor, poor dead boy. But he's all out of his troubles now, and the last words I ever heard him say was to reproach. But this memory was too much for the old lady. She broke entirely down. Tom was snuffling now himself, and more in pity of himself than anybody else. He could hear Mary crying and putting in a kindly word for him from time to time. He began to have a nobler opinion of himself than ever before. Still, he was sufficiently touched by his aunt's grief to long to rush out from under the bed and overwhelm her with joy. And the theatrical gorgeousness of the thing appealed strongly to his nature, too. But he resisted and lay still. He went on listening and gathered by odds and ends that it was conjectured at first that the boys had got drowned while taking a swim. Then a small raft had been missed. Next, certain boys said that missing lads had promised the village should hear something soon. The wise heads had put this and that together and decided the lads had gone off on that raft and would turn up at the next town below presently. But toward noon, the raft had been found, lodged against the Missouri shore some five or six miles below the village. And then hope perished. They must be drowned. Either hunger would have driven them home by nightfall, if not sooner. It was believed that the search for the bodies had been a fruitless effort, merely because the drowning must have occurred in mid-channel since the boys, being good swimmers, would otherwise have escaped ashore. This was Wednesday night. If the bodies continued missing till Sunday, all hope would be given over, and funerals would be pre preached on that morning. Tom shuddered. Mrs. Harper gave a sobbing good night and turned to go. Then, with a multiple impulse, the 
two bereaved women flung themselves into each other's arms and had a good consoling cry and then parted. Aunt Polly was tender far beyond her wont. In her good night to Sid and Mary, she snuffled a bit. Mary went off crying with all her heart. Aunt Polly knelt down and prayed for Tom so touchingly, so appealingly, and with such measureless love in her words and her old trembling voice that he was weltering in tears again long before she was through. He had to keep still long after she went to bed, for she kept making broken-hearted ejaculations from time to time, tossing, unrestful, turning over. But at last, she was still, only moaning a little in her sleep. Now the boys stole out, rose gradually by the bedside, shaded the candlelight with his hand, and stood regarding her. His heart was full of pity for her. He took out his sycamore scroll and placed it by the candle. But something occurred to him, and he lingered, considering. His face lighted with a happy solution of his thought. He put the bark hastily in his pocket. Then he bent over and kissed the faded lips, and straightway made his stealthy exit, latching the door behind him. He threaded his way back to the ferry landing, found nobody at large there, and walked boldly on board the boat, for he knew she was tenantless, except that there was a watchman who always turned in and slept like a graven image. He untied the skiff at the stern, slipped into it, and soon was rowing cautiously upstream. He had pulled a mile above the village. He started quartering across and bent himself stoutly to his work. He hit the landing on the other side neatly, for this was a familiar bit of work to him. He was moved to capture the skiff, arguing that it might be considered a ship and therefore legitimate prey for a pirate. But he knew a thorough search would be made for it, and it might end in revelations, so he stepped ashore and entered the woods. He sat down, took a long rest, torturing himself, meanwhile, to keep awake, then started warily down the home stretch. The night was far spent. It was broad daylight before he found himself fairly abreast the island bar. He rested again until the sun was well up and gliding the great river with its splendor, and then he plunged into the stream. A little later he paused, dripping upon the threshold of the camp, and heard Joe say, No, Tom's true blue hook, he'll come back. He won't desert, he knows that'd be a disgrace to a pirate. Tom's too proud for that sort of thing. He's up to something or other. Now I wonder what. Well, a thing is ours anyway, ain't they? Pretty near, but not yet, Huck. The writing says that if the, he ain't back here to breakfast. Which he is, exclaimed Tom with fine dramatic effect, stepping grandly into the camp. A sumptuous breakfast of bacon and fish was shortly provided. And as the boys set to work upon it, Tom recounted and adorned his adventures. 
They were a vain and boastful company of heroes when the tale was done. And then Tom hid himself away in a shady nook to sleep until noon. And the other pirates got ready to fish and explore. And that's it. Chapter 15 of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by the amazing Mark Twain. We'll continue with chapter 16 on our Wednesday night stream, 10 o'clock Malaysian time or wherever you listen on our podcast. Thank you for that, by the way. We love you all. All right, that's going to do it. I will see you again on Wednesday night at 10. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Snort. <laughs> <laughs>